0: at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson.
1: I hear many people talk today about stress, anxiety, pressure, and I certainly do not want to make light of this. And one person who could truly identify with a life that involved great stress, anxiety, being pursued by enemies for the purpose of being put to death in other words a very difficult life was king david and that's why psalms that he wrote in the midst of such trying situations they can truly minister unto us they can give us encouragement and the right perspective when we ourselves are going through a similar situation take out your bible And look with me to the book of Psalms and Psalm 69. Now, we began this Psalm last week. We began with the first half and we saw that David not being a perfect person, that he had guiltiness in his life and he was suffering the reproach of that sin, that disobedience, those failures both spiritually and perhaps in other areas of his life. But he was wise enough to come before God, confessing them, not concealing them from the Lord. The Lord knows all things anyway. But David came before God honestly, sincerely, confessing that sin. And also we knew that there were others who exploited those failures, called into question his faith. He was concerned about the testimony that he would have upon others, and he was bringing all of these things before God, wanting God to move in his life. And I certainly can attest, when one reads this psalm thinking about it in the proper context, David, he stands out as an individual who truly, obviously no one is perfect, but David stood out as a person who trusted in God, came before God in those difficult times in his life and believed that God would move and bring about God's change in his situation. Well, look with me to that Psalm, Psalm 69, and we're going to begin where we left off last week in the Hebrew text, verse 20, but in the English and other languages more than likely verse 19 so look there david is speaking and he says you have known my reproach my shame and another word that speaks about shame or being seen in a contemptible way so david is saying god you have seen you've known these things my shamefulness my reproach And those things that do not reflect the character that you would have me to display he says before you are all my enemies so david he's coming before god not saying god i'm innocent but rather confessing that he has failed and that his enemies are utilizing that exploiting that taking advantage of david's failure in order to bring defeat and greater shame upon the life of david and david is wise he's turning to god for assistance and believing despite his spiritual condition that if he goes before god confessing trusting believing seeking god's best in his life that god will move that god will act in david's behalf verse 21 20 in other languages he says reproach and this is a word which means reproach disgrace it's a word of of others looking at you as i said with contempt looking down upon you and david says and this this psalm he uses this word frequently verse 21 and reproach has broken my heart and i am and i would pay great attention to this word now it only appears in this usage in the bible right here and therefore many times it's hard to from one use really understand the meaning of this word but this word is frequently used in modern hebrew it is a word that speaks about one being in a situation where even though he's still alive it's all but certain that this one is going to die many times upon the news in israel we hear about a car accident or someone in, in, injured in a terrorist act or whatever it may be and they'll state about their physical condition and you have someone that's lightly hurt matsav kal someone who's in a serious but not life threatening condition matsav benoni someone who's in a very critical his life is at risk matsav kache and then we have the term anush anush he's so injured he's still alive but there is not any expectation That this one is going to survive from from that condition that injury that physical situation and that's the word that is used in this text so david we need to see it in this way david is is at a breaking point he says here look again at the text shame or contempt or reproach has broken my heart and i and remember that word anush He's speaking here about being in a a position, perhaps physically, perhaps spiritually, where he feels that his life is, is not going to survive. And then he says, I have looked with hope. Now, this is important because this word, and many translations don't bear this out, but this is a word of looking with expectation. As I said, we could utilize the word hope in the translation and he says i have have looked with hope for and then we could see this next term referring to uh, mercy or compassion someone doing something to assist him he says i have expected i have hoped for this i have looked for this but notice vn which means there was not Now, this is important because here, David feels abandoned. He feels totally alone, that he's in this critical situation, that he's at a breaking point, that he doesn't know if he can continue on. And he says, God, I've looked with hope that that you might move in this situation, that there might be some assistance, some help. But he says, there was not. And for those he looked also for those who would comfort and the implication is comforters to his situation and he says Ve lo and i did not find again david is finding no help no assistance no one who is showing him compassion no one who is comforting him he feels abandoned and alone in this world and perhaps some of it is his own making, but others. The enemy, David has numerous enemies because he's a man of God, because he's walking according to the purposes of God. He's committed to that. Is he always successful? Is he never disobedient? Didn't say that. We know that there are times in David's life where he does not behave in the utmost manner in God's will, according to God's purposes. But david was quick to repent he was quick to confess his sin and what was so pleasing to god is that he looked to god for help that god would move and bring about a change and would bring about restoration in his life and in his situation so that he would be back in god's will carrying out the purposes of god verse verse 22 verse 21 in other languages And they give, and this is a word for perhaps food or nourishment, and then we have a word that relates to to poison. So David says, those who do provide for me, they want to poison me. And he says, in my thirst, they give me to drink vinegar. So not something that quenches thirst, not something that someone goes to. And what it reveals here is how david is saying the most basic needs food and drink the enemy is is trying to move against me not allow me to find those things and this is what really this verse is speaking about david is struggling to find those things to to preserve him to give him life and i cannot overemphasize emphasize the importance of seeing david in this situation we we sometimes see David differently that yes there was those times when King Saul was pursuing him other times that he was was an outcast and fleeing for his life but but we need to see that that such periods of time played a great significance it amounted to many many years when David was in that situation being pursued by, by soldiers to be put to death, enemies wanting to exploit and take advantage of David's circumstances. David was not a beloved man among many individuals. They saw him as an obstacle to they want, what they wanted because he stood for righteousness. And therefore, David knew what it meant to be, to be persecuted, to be oppressed, to be spoken against, to be hated, David did not have an easy life. Well, verse verse 23, again in the Hebrew text. Now here, this is quoted by Paul in the book of Romans, but let's just deal with these passages that even though they may have a New Testament application, sometimes a messianic application, let's just concentrate with, with the use in the psalm. Verse, verse 23, where it says, And their tables, and tables here refers to, to tables that were used for idolatrous purposes. So their tables will be unto them for a snare or a trap. So David's revealing something. In difficult circumstances, many people, because they're desperate, they look for any one that is promising help. And there are idol salesmen that take advantage of that and say you're going through a difficult time, I have the solution. Buy this idol. He's there. This idol works specifically in this regard. David's receiving none of that. He's rejecting that totally and he says, concerning idolatry in this situation he says it's not for me. And let those, the implication is, let those who practice idolatry, notice what he says, their table shall be unto them before them a trap. And there, and some Bibles will say their well being, it's related to the word shalom. So their peace, or it can be talking about offerings made for, for a, a result, giving something so that you'll be well that you'll know that tranquility, that peace, that, that easiness. And David says here in regard to such an offerings, it will become as well a snare or a trap. Two different words that are synonyms for speaking about a, a snare, a trap, something in modern Hebrew it's a word for a landmine. And what David is saying here, idolatry, in the end, is going to explode before that person. It is going to injure them. It is going to ensnare them in the the path and the purposes of the enemy. And it's going to bring, ultimately, dis, uh, destruction into life. So two words, pach, which is more like being trapped, and then mokesh, which is more of a word of of destruction. Let's press on. Look now, if you would, to to verse 24 in the hebrew text 23 and others where he says their eyes shall become dark from seeing now when you are involved in idolatry let me put it another way when you are not motivated by the truth of god meaning this if you're not pursuing things making decisions based upon the truth of god what's going to happen when you believe and, and act upon anything that is not God's truth, it is going to bring darkness. Meaning, this, you're not going to have a godly perspective. You're not going to see things from the proper vantage point. And David is saying, is idolatry, false doctrine, uh, dogma that is not based upon scripture, all of this is going to darken your perception. You're not going to be seeing things. And likewise, he says, and I believe many uh, English Bibles, especially when this verse shows up in the New Testament, it'll talk about their backs being bent over. Here, it's a word, which is the waist. So you bend at the waist. So I don't have a problem with, with how it's oftentimes translated. But it says, and their waist always be. And this is a word for, for stumbling. So it's not so much being bent, but being stumbling. And what happens? Well, oftentimes, what what takes place when you stumble, is that you begin to fall down. And what David is saying here is, let them be in that that position of being brought down. Now, brought down shows a humiliation. It shows a stumbling, falling, meaning that you're not pursuing you're not moving forward and it shows here what the outcome is of idolatry false doctrine it brings you down it humiliates you it does not put you in the the will of god verse 25 pour upon them your wrath and then it uses another word remember we're talking about hebrew poetry And one of the characteristics, the chief characteristics of Hebrew poetry is parallelism. One thing is parallel, one thing is like, similar to another. So we have the word za'am and the word afharon. Those two phrases, za'am and afharon, speaks about the, the hot anger, the wrath of God so he says here david says upon those who are related to idolatry whether they are sellers of idols whether they are practicing idolatry he says pour out upon them your wrath and he says here haron that is that that hot anger it says let that obtain them let your your hot anger uh, obtain them pursue them and overcome them verse verse 26 and there and this is the word tira now tirah is a word that it can be translated almost like a a castle it is a a nice place of habitation and david uses this word speaking about those who are oftentimes rebelling against god they have a nice home they have a lot of many times the physical things, the material things. And David says, their, their nice residencies, let them be for a desolation. And in their tents, let there not be a dweller. So destroy their dwelling places and let there not be anyone who dwells within them. And being displaced is simply a, a term of judgment it's the opposite of being blessed when you're blessed you dwell securely you dwell in safety so here David is simply pointing out a, a consequence of God's judgment God's displeasure now the next verse verse 27 in Hebrew 26 in others for you and this is God for you we might say O God whom you have struck they pursue Now, here what he's talking about is this. God disciplines. David is is not coming saying, I'm innocent. I'm a victim here. David's not saying that. David has acknowledged his shame, his his reproach, that that contemptness that he has received, but also displayed by his own disobedience. He's confessed that. And he says, God, you have have struck me. God has disciplined David. But he's saying others are, are taking advantage of that. David is being judged, and he says, they are pursuing me. Now, it's very similar. A good example of this, a biblical example, is what we see, for example, in the book of Obadiah and also in Psalm 137, where God judges Judah. We know about the destruction of the temple. We know about, about Judah being taken into exile, a, a large uh, number of people back to Babylon. And what we see in that is as the Babylonians are judging, there are some of Judah that is escaping. They are, are fleeing the, the enemy of the Babylonian enemy. And what happens? Well, Edom, those who are the offspring of Asaph, they pursue them and they strike them down. And this is the example here. God's judging David and the, the enemies are, are getting involved. They see David at a weak time in his life, an injured time, and they are pursuing him. And he says two, and then we have a word of of pain now some will say grief it's not really grief it's suffering a physical suffering and in regard to suffering he says the 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 one that you have pierced or wounded he says they are are talking about so David saying i have been wounded by by god and what happens well they are pursuing me and they are talking about this they are spreading the news about how i've been disciplined what i'm going through and you can think of it this way many times someone will be in the midst of sin and they will will suffer a loss they will experience god's judgment god's discipline and they'll be in a difficult situation now what believers should do is to rally around these people love them, encourage them, help them, assist them back in being in God's will. But what do these other people do? They exploit that. They take advantage of that. They see that weakness and they want to attack. And they love speaking about how how God's people are, are being disciplined. What does David say? Look at the next verse. Give iniquity for their iniquity and do not allow them to enter into your righteousness meaning this don't let them participate when he says don't let them enter into your righteousness what he's saying is this god it is right for you to judge me but don't let them be part of that judgment don't let them uh, take me further down beyond the punishment that you have for me don't let them be be involved in that he says verse 29 28 and others blot from the book of life they're not part of the kingdom they don't pursue the kingdom truth they don't believe the kingdom truth so so blot them from the book of life and with the righteous ones that they should not be inscribed David is saying these are not kingdom people these are not ones who participate in the things of god they want to exploit the things of god for their own purpose next verse and i i am now the word ani now it's interesting because the word for i is ani but spelt with an aleph and the next word ani sounds identical but it's spelt with a different first letter, the I, not an aleph, and it means to be poor or to be afflicted. And David's saying here in this passage of scripture, and I am afflicted, and then he uses the word koef, it hurts, I'm I'm suffering, I'm in pain. Then he says, your salvation, speaking about God, your salvation, oh God. What happens? Now, this is a word, a very common name in Hebrew, is the name Segev. And Segev means to be exalted. Now, not necessarily exalted in the sense of praise and and lifted up with words, but it means just that, to be placed in an exalted, a high place. And many times this is used to to display someone or to describe someone who has been, been placed in safety. And that's what David is saying here. Look again. He says, and I am afflicted. I I hurt. I am suffering. But what's David focusing in on? Your salvation, O God. What will do? You will lift me up. You will take me, in other words, out of their reach, that I'm not in their domain. And what is David going to do because of that? He says, I appraise, not i i will if you do this god i will praise you that's not what it says he says i have praised you now we need to do actually it does say i will praise the name of god with song so it is a response i will praise the name of god with song and i will magnify him how with thanksgiving so here many times in the hebrew what we have is a future verb but it has a prefix which flips the understanding of it but here it's not that construction so let me read that again correctly he says i will praise the name of god in song and i will magnify him with thanksgiving verse 32 and the hebrew text 31 and others now this is a word for making good and it may be an idiom for pleasing god so we read here and and will please the lord more than than ox and bull and it says more than horns and hoofs so david is saying it's praising god sincerely that that is more pleasing to him that's better in the eyes of god than just simply offering up these two costly animals an ox and a bull and and giving it completely he says it's it's better to god that we praise him sincerely see now how do we understand that well many david was a wealthy man for him to to simply make an offering of an ox sometimes we see kings giving thousands of of animals as as offerings to the lord sometimes it's very easy just to write a check if you have a lot of money writing a generous check may not be hard for you to do and david's saying it's not about just what you give financially what what sacrifices in a material sense that you make but what's really pleasing to god is when we do go back to the previous verse when it says I will praise the name of God with with song and I will magnify I will magnify him with Thanksgiving now David is saying this when perhaps there's nothing in his situation has changed that he can just pinpoint and say I'm thankful because of this he's giving thanks for who God is now this is a a a big truth spiritually And that is this. Yes, it's appropriate to give God thanks for the good things that he does. But even when we're not experiencing those answers to prayer, that we're not experiencing maybe the the blessings in our life that we would like to experience, that God seems distanced, that God doesn't seem to be working in our life, that there's nothing that we can, can just write down and say, I want to praise God because I've received this. I've experienced this. This is going on in my life. Even when God doesn't appear to be moving, He still worthy of thanksgiving so we thank god not just for what he does but first and foremost we thank god for who he is god being god that means he is worthy and deserving of thanksgiving now look if we could to verse 33 david remember what we talked about last week david is saying here i want to be an example. I want to have a pleasing testimony, pleasing of God, a powerful testimony that others can see. And look at this verse, again verse 33 in the Hebrew text, 32 in others, where he says the and the word here ananim, anavim is a word for humble ones. So he says, let me read this verse in Hebrew, ra'u anavim so the humble ones, very important that we translate it that way, the word anav, a humble person. So, so he says, the humble ones will see and they will rejoice. The ones who seek God, your hearts, it's in the plural for the humble ones and the seekers of God. It says, your hearts will live, and it's an idea of, of being revived. Now, remember, and I don't go through this a lot, but I'm hoping that, that individually you'll see how to use Hebrew poetry to learn principles, biblical principles. So let's stop for a moment and see this one where it says, look at the verse again. The humble ones, they will see, and be glad. Now, how do you demonstrate humility? Here we have it. Dorshe Elohim, which means the ones who are seeking, pursuing diligently, seeking God. So in order to seek God, you have to seek God with humility. And when you're humble, God sees you pursuing Him. And these things being humble and rejoicing giving god thanks being glad in the presence of god this has a a change it revives our heart instead of having a darkened position we're going to see things correctly next verse verse 34 in the hebrew text 33 and others for the lord he hears the destitute ones this is the word for evionim evionim someone who is destitute someone who is very very poor and he says the lord hears now remember whenever we have this construction many times i've shared with you if you are a frequent listener about grammar in the new testament greek grammar and the he in the old testament primarily hebrew a few few chapters in aramaic but primarily hebrew and when we have this construction, Christian scholars call it a participle. Jewish scholars call it a, a simply just the present tense. As I've said over and over, it is not important what you call it. It's recognizing it and understanding the significance of it. Whenever this grammatical construction is found in the Old Testament, it, it marks it. It emphasizes it. It makes the passage emphatic. So what's being emphasized by God? Look again at the text. For the Lord, he hears, meaning he's listening. And this word for hearing means to hear with a response. So the Lord hears the, the destitute ones, the poor ones, and his prisoners, he, he does not think little of or he does not despise. Now, this word is a word of, of looking at something and not seeing it with significance, thinking little of it. And the message is this, what God is saying is that he is seeing those, his prisoners, those who are suffering in regard to, to God. So they're in prison for him. They have been captive, maybe in war. They've been taken captive. And God says, I, I'm aware of that. I don't think little of such a situation. Next verse. The heavens, the earth, and the seas, these three, the heavens, the earth, and the seas, they will praise him. And all, not just these heavens and earth and the seas, but all who creep upon them. So all who are, are alive, moving, all they are called to praise God. Next verse. For God, he will save Zion. Now remember, Zion is a a kingdom word. So when it says here, Ki Elohim Yoshia Zion. God will save Zion, Zion. He's saying that he is going to bring salvation and bring about this kingdom experience. And he will build the cities of Judah. Now, it's simply the word here, Yivne. Now, this is important because when we look at it, it says he will build. And it's not rebuilt, although there's that aspect of it. Israel's is being rebuilt today, but literally it says he will build and the point here It's just not going back to the past if God wanted to he could use the word rebuild Yivne Shuv Doesn't say that Yivne just that and the implication is he's not simply building what it was It's not a return to the past, but he's building something new Something different, something that's related to the kingdom. So we see the cities of Judah is parallel with Sion. And this is important because it speaks about how God has not forsaken or abandoned the land of Israel. And again, I say this frequently, but there's so many teachers more and more within the evangelical movement that, that are believing a lie that thinks that god is finished with israel both the land and the people now they're not saying that a jewish person can't receive the gospel and see be saved but they're saying this there's no longer any interest in a unique way for the land of israel or the jewish people that god has just ended all of that he has not so again for god he will save zion And he will build the cities of judah and they will dwell there and here's what i like and they will inherit it now what's important here is a change and if you don't pay attention to the grammar you miss out because when you go to the previous verse when it says here the heavens and the earth and the seas will praise him all who do what? All who creep, meaning move, upon them. So the them is the the creation, the heavens, the the land, and the the earth or the seas. But here when it says they will dwell there, what's there? Zion, the kingdom. And then we have the word v'reshuha, which is that they will inherit it. What's it? Hamachut, the kingdom. it's in the feminine, which is a kingdom, kingdom, gender in this context. So he's saying that they are going to dwell there in the kingdom, and they're going to inherit, inherit what? All the things that are related to the kingdom. Our last verse, verse 37 in Hebrew 36, and others where it says, Ve zerah Avadav,. Zera the seed of, the offspring of, the descendant of his servants, they will inherit it, meaning they will inherit the kingdom. Now, what are truly here the offspring of his servants? It tells us, remember the parallelism. We have Zerah Avadav, the offspring of his servants is parallel to ohave Shmo and the lovers of his name. Now, what this tells us, here's the principle. It is when you love the name of God. What does that mean? That you are committed to the character of God. How God behaves and his behavior is inherently related to his commandments, his instructions, his will. So when when a person loves the will of God, that person is committed to the things of God then they are truly the offsprings of the servants of the lord and the entire verse which means the offspring the descendants of his servants they will inherit it it's a parallel word for the word lareshet now we have a different word that means the same thing, to inherit it. And the ones who love his name, those who who put a great, great significance on the character of God and wants to do, do, to display and demonstrate the character of God, it says. And they will dwell in it again in the kingdom of God. Now let me just conclude this study of Psalm 69 by saying just one more thought and it's this. Think about David. David is in a very difficult position. The enemies are pursuing him. The enemies are attacking him. The enemies are speaking against him. And he realizes, he's confessed this. Part of the problem is his own making. He has displayed that which is shameful. What particular, we don't know, but he's confessed that he says my my guiltiness my shame i've not concealed from you god he's confessed it. he's acknowledged it he also acknowledges that part of what he's going through is because of the lord's discipline in his life but what is so remarkable is that david in the midst of this what's what is his encouragement one day all of this this stress this anxiety this hardship these difficulties that he's going through, David knows one day they're going to come to an end. And that day is when the kingdom of God is established. Now, it's a a relief, a deliverance when a believer dies and, and he's instantly in heaven in the presence of his Lord and Savior. Wonderful. But realize that that heaven is marvelous but that kingdom of god is going to be greater you say can you prove that biblically well let me ask you something we know right now there is an earth and there is a heaven but god's going to do something there is going to be a transition to a new heaven and a new earth it's called the new jerusalem and i would suggest to you you can accept this or reject this obviously But I would suggest to you the reason why God's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. He's speaking about the kingdom of God, the new Jerusalem is. It's going to be new. It is going to be great, greater than this current creation. There's a great emphasis prophetically upon another, the second creation. And that is the establishment of the kingdom of God. So it's wonderful right now. be in heaven if you have a loved one you may be missing that one desperately you may be still grieving and that person may have died years and years ago but that death that loss is still very much heavy upon your heart it still brings you sadness grief and tears but realize those sadness and tears are for what you're suffering That one who has died in the faith, they are rejoicing in the very presence of their Lord and Savior, God, in the kingdom of heaven. And and the moment of this separation, from your standpoint, that moment may be long, years, hard years, decades. But nevertheless, for them, it is going to be going by like that and they're going to be reunited with you if you are a believer. And ultimately, you're going to know the greatness of God, the goodness of God, the blessings of God, and take hold of the promises of God in his kingdom. And that's why David, at the end of this psalm, emphasizes the kingdom, because when we are kingdom-minded, we're going to find that strength to persevere. We're going to find that the antidote for stress anxiety, pressures, despair, all of these things is being kingdom-minded and having that that biblically-based kingdom hope. Well, I'll close with that. Until next week, Shalom from Israel.
0: Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us,